0: Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537 is the voicemail line. Uh, Ratchet at gmail.com is the email address. And Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. It's Ratchet Book Club. And we're on Twitter. That's how you find us there. You can leave a review on Podchaser, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, and Podcast Attic, amongst other places, Uh, I would say leave a review on Podchaser. The cool thing about it is you can leave a review for uh, separate episodes or the show as a whole. Want to apologize. I didn't have the uh, disclaimer on the last episode, and yet I was cussing. I was in there, and it was because I was so fired up about this book. So I'm going to try, I really am, to calm that down. But kids, you could take the earmuffs off now. Uh, Uncle Derek has been made aware of his shortcomings. And it wasn't like anybody hit me up. I just went back and listened to my own show because I'm my own favorite podcaster. Chapter 9. John McNabb had never in his life met a kid he couldn't strike out. Until the run. Now... As he thought about it, he came to two conclusions. Number one, he couldn't stand having this blemish on his record. And number two, if you beat a kid up, it's the same as striking him out. So McNabb and his pals went looking for the kid. They called themselves the Cobras. Nobody messed with them. At least, nobody on the West End. The Cobras had heard that the kid hung around the park and on the tracks. And that's where they spotted him one Saturday afternoon, on the tracks by the path that ran from Oriel Street Dead End to the park. He was down by Red Hill and heading away from him, book in hand as usual. But the Cobras just stood there, stunned. I don't believe it, one cobra said. Must be a trick, said another. I had heard about it, said another, but I didn't believe it. It wasn't a trick. It was true. The kid was running on the rail. McNab scooped up a handful of track stones. He launched one. He snarled. He's dead. Get him. By the time Maniac looked back, they were almost on him. He wobbled once, leapt from the rail to the ground and took off. He was at the Oriole Street dead end, but his instinct said no, not the street. Too much open space. He stuck with the tracks. Coming into view above him was a house on Rako Hill, where he had eaten spaghetti. He could go there, to the whistling mother, the other kids, and be safe. They wouldn't follow him in there, would they? Stones clanked off the steel rails. He darted left, skirted the dump, wove through the miniature mountain range of stone piles and into the street. Skiing on his heels down the steep bank and into the creek, frogs plopping, no time to look for stepping rocks. Yells behind her now. War whoops. Stones pelting the water, stinging his back. Ah, the other side. Through the trees and picker bushes. Past the armory jeeps and out to the park boulevard. Past the Italian restaurant on the corner. The bakery. Screeching tires. Row houses. Streets. Alleys. Cars. Porches. Windows. Faces staring. Faces. Faces. The town whizzing past Maniac. A blur of faces. Each face staring from its own window. Each face in its own personal frame, its own house, its own address. place to be when there was nowhere else to be. How lucky to be a face staring out from a window. And then, could it be? The voices behind him were growing faint. He slowed, turned, stopped. They were lined up at a street a block back. They were still yelling and shaking their fists, but they weren't moving off the curb. And they were laughing. Why were they laughing? The Cobras were standing at Hector Street. Hector Street was the boundary between the East and West Ends. Or, to put it another way, between the blacks and whites. Not that you ever saw a white in the East End or a black in the West End. People did cross the line now and then, especially if they were adults. And it was daytime. But at nighttime, forget it. And if you were a kid... Day or night, forget it. Unless you have business on the other side, such as a sports team or a school. But don't just be strolling along, as if you belonged there. As if you weren't afraid. As if you didn't even notice you were a different color from everybody around you. The Cobras were laughing because they figured the dumb, scraggly runt would get out of the east end in about as good of a shape as a bare big toe in a convention of snapping turtles. Chapter 10 Of course, Maniac didn't know any of that. He was simply glad that the chase was over. He turned and started walking, catching his breath. East Chestnut, East Marshall, Green Street, Arch Street. He had been around here before. That first day with a girl named Amanda. Other days jogging through. But this was Saturday, not a school day. And there was something different about the streets. Kids. All over. One of them jumped down from a front step and planted himself right in front of Maniac. Maniac had to jerk to a stop to keep from plowing into the kid. Even so, their noses were practically touching. Maniac blinked and stepped back. The kid stepped forward. Each time the Maniac stepped back, the kid stepped forward. They traveled practically half a block that way. Finally, Maniac turned and started walking. The kid jumped around and plunked himself in front of Maniac again. He bit off a chunk of the candy bar he was holding. Where are you going? He said. Candy bar flakes flew from his mouth. I'm looking for Sycamore Street, said Maniac. Do you know where it is? "Yeah." I know where it is. Maniac waited, but the kid said nothing more. Well, uh do you think you could tell me where it is? Stone was softer than the kid's glare. No. Maniac looked around. Other kids had stopped playing, were staring. Someone called Do them, Mars Someone else. Waste 'em. The kid as you probably guessed by now, was none other than Mars Bar Thompson. Mars Bar heard the calls, and the stone got harder. Then suddenly, he stopped glaring. Suddenly, he was smiling. He held up the candy bar, an inch from Maniac's lips. Want a bite? Maniac couldn't figure. You sure? Yeah, go ahead. Take a bite. Maniac shrugged, took the Mars bar, bit off a chunk, and handed it back. Thanks. Dead silence along the street. The kid had done the unthinkable. He had chomped on one of Mars' own bars. Not only that, but white kids just didn't put their mouths where black kids had had theirs. Be it soda bottles, spoons, or candy bars. And the kid hadn't even gone for the unused end. He had chomped right over Mars Bar's own bite marks. Mars Bar was confused. Who was this kid? What was this kid? As usual, when Mars Bar got confused, he got mad. He thumped Maniac in the chest. You think you bad or something? Maniac, who was now twice as confused as Mars Bar, blinked. Huh? Huh? You think you come down here and be bad? That what you think? Marsbar was practically shouting now. No, said Maniac. I don't think I'm bad. I'm not saying I'm an angel either. Not even real good. Somewhere in between, I guess. Marsbar jammed his arms downward, stuck out his chin, sneered. Am I bad? Maniac was befuddled. I don't know. One minute you're yelling at me, the next minute you're giving me a bite of your candy bar. The chin jutted out more. Tell me I'm bad. Maniac blinked, shrugged, sighed. It's none of my business. If you're bad, let your mother or father tell you. Now it was Mars Bar doing the blinking, stepping back, trying to sort things out. After a while, he looked down. What's that? Before Maniac answered, a book. Mars Bar snatched it from his hand. This ain't yours, he said. He flipped through some pages. It looks like mine. It's somebody else's. It's mine. I'm keeping it. With well, rattlesnake speed. Maniac snatched the book back, except for one page, which stayed, ripped, in Mars Bar's hand. Give me the page, said Maniac. Mars Bar grinned. Take it, fish belly. Silence, eyes, the flies were waiting, East End vultures. Suddenly, neither kid could see the other, because a broom came down like a straw curtain between their faces. And a voice said, "I'll take it." It was a lady from the nearest house, out to sweep her steps. She lowered the broom but kept it between them. Better yet, she said to Marsbar, "Just give it back to him." Marsbar glared up at her. There wasn't an eleven-year-old in the East End who could stand up to Marsbar's glare. In the West End, even high schoolers were known to crumble under the glare. Two old ladies on both sides of Hector Street. It was all but fatal. And when Marsbar stepped off a curb and combined the stare with this super slow dip stride slump shuffle, well, it was said he could back up traffic all the way to Bridgeport while he took ten minutes across the street. But not this time. This time Marsbar was up against an East End lady in her prime, and she was matching him eyeball for eyeball. And when it was over, only one glare was left standing and it wasn't Mars Bars. Mars Bar handed back the torn page, but not before he crumpled it into a ball. The broom pushed him away, turned him around and swept him up the street. The lady looked down at Maniac. A little of the glare lingered in her eyes. You better get on, boy, where you belong. I can't be following you around. I got things to do. Maniac just stood there for a minute, There was something he felt like doing, and maybe he would have. But the lady turned and went back inside her house and shut the door. So he walked away. Chapter 11 Now what? Maniac uncrumpled the page, flattened it out as best he could. How could he return the book to Amanda in this condition? He couldn't. But he had to. It was hers. Judging from that morning... She was pretty finicky about her books. What would make her matter? To not get the book back at all? Or to get it back with a page ripped out? Maniac cringed at both prospects. He wandered around the East End, jogging slowly. In no hurry now to find 728 Sycamore Street. He was passing a vacant lot when he heard an all too familiar voice. Hey, Fishbelly! He stopped, turned. This time Mars Bar wasn't alone. A handful of other kids trubbed him down the sidewalk. Maniac waited. Coming up to him, Mars Bar said, Where you running, boy? Nowhere. You running from us. You afraid? No. I just like to run. You want to run? Mars Bar grinned. Go ahead. We'll give you a head start. Maniac grinned back. No, thanks. Marsbar held out his hand. Give me my book. Maniac shook his head. Marsbar glared. Give me it. Maniac shook his head. Marsbar reached for it. Maniac pulled it away. They moved in on him now. They backed him up. Some high schoolers were playing basketball up the street, but they weren't noticing. And there wasn't a broom-swinging lady in sight. Maniac felt a hard flatness against his back. Suddenly, his world was very small and very simple. A brick wall behind him, a row of scowling faces in front of him. He clutched the book with both hands. The faces were closing in. A voice called, That's you, Jeffrey? The faces parted. At the curb was a girl on a bike, Amanda. She hoisted the bike to the sidewalk and walked it over. She looked at the book, at the torn page. Who ripped my book? Marsbar pointed at a maniac. He did. Amanda knew better. You ripped my book. Marsbar's eyes went big as headlights. I did not. You did. You lie. I didn't. You did. She let the bike fall to Maniac. She grabbed her book and started kicking Mars Bars in his beloved sneakers. I got a little brother and a little sister that cran all over my books. And I got a dog that eats them and poops on em, and that's just inside my own family. And I'm not going to have nobody else messing with my books. You understand? By then, Mars Bar was hauling up the street past the basketball players, who were rolling on the asphalt with laughter. Amanda took the torn page from Maniac. To her, it was the broken wing of a bird, a pet out in the rain. She turned misty eyes to Maniac. It's one of my favorite pages. Maniac smiled. We can fix it. The way he said it, she believed. Wanna come to my house, she said. Sure, he said. Chapter 12. When they walked in, Amanda's mother was busy with her usual tools. A yellow plastic bucket and a sponge. She was scrubbing purple crayon off the TV screen. Mom, said Amanda, this is Jeffrey. She whispered, what's your last name? He whispered, McGee. She said, McGee. Miss Bill held up a hand, said, hold it and went on scrubbing. When she finally finished, she straightened, turned and said, now what? Mom, this is Jeffrey McGee. You know. Amanda was hardly finished when Maniac zipped across the room and stuck out his hand. Nice to meet you, Miss, Miss, Bill. Miss Bill. They shook hands. Miss Bill smiled. So you're the book boy. She started nodding. Amanda came home one day. Mom, there's a boy I loaned one of my books out to. Loaned a book? You? Mom, he practically made me. He really likes books. I met him on Mom! Amanda screeched. I never said all that. Miss Bill nodded solemnly. No, of course you didn't and gave Maniac a huge wink which made Amanda screech louder until something crashed in the kitchen. Miss Bill ran. Amanda Maniac ran. The scene in the kitchen stopped them cold. One little girl, eyes wide, standing on a countertop. One little boy, eyes wide, standing just below her on a chair. One shattered glass jar and some stringy pale-colored glop on the floor one growing cloud of sauerkraut fumes. The girl was Hester, age four. The boy was Lester, age three. In less than five minutes, while Miss Bill and Amanda cleaned up the floor, Hester and Lester and their dog Bow Wow were in the backyard wrestling and tickling and jumping and just generally going wild with their new buddy and victim, Maniac McGee. Maniac was still there when Mr. Bill came home from his Saturday shift at the tire factory. He was there for dinner when Hester and Lester pushed their chairs alongside his. He was there to help Amanda mend her torn book. He was there watching TV afterwards with Hester riding one knee and Lester on the other. He was there when Hester and Lester came screaming down the stairs of a book. Amanda screaming even louder after them. The kids shoving the book and themselves in a maniac's lap. Amanda finally calming down because they didn't want to cram the book. They only wanted Maniac to read. And so he read Loud Loud Crocodile to Hester and Lester. And even though they pretended not to listen to Amanda and Mr. and Mrs. Bill. And he was there when Hester and Lester were herded upstairs to bed. And Miss Bill said, don't you think it's about time you're heading home, Jeffrey? Your parents would be wondering. So Maniac, wanting to say something but not knowing how, got into the car for Mr. Bill to drive him home. And then he made his mistake. He waited for only two or three blocks to go by before saying to Mr. Bill, This is it. Mr. Bill stopped, but he didn't let Maniac out of the car. He looked at him funny. Mr. Bill knew what his pastor apparently didn't. East End was East End, and West End was West End. And the house this white lad was pointing to was filled with black people, just like every house on up to Hector Street. Mr. Bill pointed this out to Maniac. Maniac's lips started to quiver. And right there, with the car idling in the middle of the street, Maniac told him that he didn't really have a home, unless you count the deer shed at the zoo. Mr. Bill made a U-turn right there and headed back. Only Mrs. Bill was still downstairs when they walked into the house. She listened to no more than ten seconds worth of Mr. Bill's explanation before saying to Maniac, You're staying here. Not long after maniac was lying in Amanda's bed, Amanda having been carried over to Hester and Lester's room where she often slept anyway. Before maniac could go to sleep, however, there was something he had to do. He flipped off the covers and went downstairs. Before the puzzled faces of Mr. and Mrs. Bill, he opened the front door and looked at the three cast iron digits nailed to the front door frame. 728 He kept staring at him, smiling. Then he closed the door, said a cheerful good night, and went back to bed. Maniac McGee finally had an address. Chapter 13 Amanda was happy to give up her room to Maniac. It gave her an excuse to sleep with Hester and Lester every night. Most of the time during the day, the little ones drove her crazy. She couldn't stand to be in the same hemisphere with them. But at night... The best thing was to have them snuggled up on both sides of her. It made no sense, but that's how it was. Mr. Bill divided the little one's room into two sections with a panel of plywood, and Amanda moved her stuff into the back part, except for her suitcase of books. That stayed in her old room with Maniac. The way Maniac fit in, you would have thought he was born there. He played with the little ones and read them stories and taught them things. He took Bow Wow out for runs and he did the dishes without anyone asking, which made Amanda feel guilty, so she started to dry. He carried out the trash, mowed the lawn, cleaned up his own spills, turned out lights, put the cap back on the toothpaste tube, flushed the toilet, and, Miss Bill called this the miracle on Sycamore Street, he kept his room neat. Every morning, Miss Bill looked into it, no socks on the floor. No open drawers, no messed up bed. That was the most amazing thing, the bed. It looked as if he hadn't even slept in it, which she soon found out was the case. One night, she opened the door and found Maniac sleeping on the floor. She lugged him onto the bed, but by the next night, he was back on the floor. Maniac just couldn't stand being too comfortable. Lying on a mattress gave him a weird feeling of slowly rising on a scoop of mashed potatoes. That's the way it was with chairs, too. If he had a choice, he usually sat on the floor. Other strange things happened in the house, such as the yellow bucket and sponge spent more time gathering dust in the cellar and less time in Miss Bill's hands. Because, with maniac around, Hester and Lester lost their interest in cranning everything in sight. And therefore, sometimes for 15 minutes in a row, Mrs. Bill was seen doing something she hadn't done since before the little ones were born. Nothing. Such as, Amanda started leaving her suitcase of books at home. Such as, everyone's fingertips started to heal. Because Mania took over the endless, thankless job of untying Hester and Lester's sneaker knots. Such as, Hester and Lester started to enjoy taking a bath, which was the solution to a very huge problem in the Bill household. Once upon a time, Hester and Lester loved to get a bath, as long as Amanda got one with them. It was a little crowded, especially when the little ones added their boats and floating dinosaurs, but it was fun and warm and yelpy and soapy. Then came the day when Amanda entered fourth grade, and she decided she was getting too old to tub it with her little brother and sister. They begged her and begged her, but she wouldn't get in. They tried to store in the bathroom when she was in there, but she locked the door on them. And so the little ones went on strike. They placed their hand on Lyle Lyle Crocodile and swore they would never take another bath until Amanda joined them. And even though they couldn't stop their much larger mother from lifting them up and plunking them into the water, they could refuse to touch the soap or washcloth. They could make her do it. And they could sit there all stiff with their chins down their chests, and their arms folded tightly and their legs clamped together. And if their mother wanted to wash their armpits, she would have to get a crowbar and pry their arms up because they sure as heck weren't going to move. That's the way it was for a long time, until Maniac arrived. On that first Sunday, as soon as the little ones found out their new palace left over, they mobbed him. Jeffrey, Jeffrey, get a bath with us, will you? Maniac replied, sure, okay, not thinking much about it. After all, it was still before breakfast. But the little ones never let up, and at exactly 9.15 a.m., the three of them got into the tub. By the time they got out, it was too late to go to church and almost lunchtime. From then on, the baths usually took place at night. Sometimes, Miss Bill would poke her head in and stare. One little black girl one little black boy one medium white boy and she would smile and wag her head and sigh never saw such a tub the time she heard Lester and Hester yelling for help though she was downstairs she came running what's the matter the little ones pointed look she looked maniac was covered with blotches round red blotches all shiny from the bath water They look something like little pepperonis. They took him to the doctor. The doctor took a look and said it wasn't chicken pox and it wasn't measles. He said it might be an allergy. He asked what the boy had for dinner. Miss Bill answered, pizza. Well, the doctor chuckled. Can't be that. Can you imagine a youngster getting sick on pizza? Everybody laughed. Besides, said the doctor, this would have shown up on him since he was little, most likely, every time he came near a pizza. He turned to Maniac, still chuckling. You have eaten pizza before, haven't you? Maniac got a funny expression on his face. He looked around. Everybody was staring at him. The silence grew louder. Eyes grew wider. And that's how they found out that Maniac McGee was allergic to pizza. I mean, and this is me, it's it's not pizza. He can't be allergic to pizza. It's one of the things that are within the pizza, and they better be careful because if they don't let him eat pizza, but then they give him a grilled cheese sandwich, and it turns out that he's allergic to bread, he's going to fall out. If it turns out he's allergic to the cheese, he's going to fall out and be constipated. If it turns out he's allergic to butter, then I'm just going to cry. But they need to iron down what he's actually allergic to because it's not the pizza, and he could still have pizza and thrive if they find out that it's something else, like pepperoni, which is usually gross. Chapter 14. Maniac loved his new life. He loved his new sneakers, the one Miss Bill bought for him. He loved the new quietness of his footsteps as he trotted Bow Wow through her early morning streets. He loved the early morning, the before the working people time, he called it when even those who went to work the earliest were still sleeping behind their second-story shades. When it seemed as if the whole world had been created just before he woke up on his bedroom floor. The red brick rows of houses. Even the windows resting from faces. The cool, silent sidewalks and streets. So quiet, you could hear the water running far below the sewer grates while the sun shined up the rain spouts. He loved the silence and solitude. But he also loved the noise, which came later in the day. He loved the sound of a pancake batter hissing on the griddle, so he's not alert to wheat, which means he can eat bread. Okay, cool. He loved the noise of the church they went to on Sunday mornings, a church called Bethany, where the minister would thump on the pulpit, and the people would call out, Amen! And the choir would swing this way and swing that way, and would sing Hallelujah to the people, and the people would sing Hallelujah right back to the choir. And everybody just got happier and happier, and it made him want to do more than run. So one day, he just jumped himself up on the pew bench and threw his arms to the sky and shouted to the top of his lungs, Hallelujah! Amen! And this time, nobody looked funny at the crazy kid yelling by himself. Then two members of his own family, Hester and Lester, jumped onto the bench beside him and shouted away, Hallelujah! Amen! And everybody laughed and clapped and sang. He loved the 4th of July block party when the whole East End converged for a day and night of games and music and grilled chicken and ribs and sweet potato pie and dancing until the last firecracker and then some. Maniac loved the colors of the East End, the people colors. For the life of him, he couldn't figure out why these East Enders called themselves black. He kept looking and looking. And the colors he found were ginger snap and light fudge and dark fudge and acorn and butter rum and cinnamon and burnt orange, but never licorice, which to him was real black. He especially loved the warm brown of Miss Bill's thumb as it appeared from under the white frosting that she allowed him to lick away when she was frosting his favorite cake. He loved joining all the colors at the vacant lot and playing the summer days away. Stick ball, basketball, football. Half the time he forgot to go home for lunch. One day, a new kid, tall and lean, came to the vacant lot spinning a football. He spotted Maniac and stopped cold. He came closer, bent over, stared. Then he broke open a billboard grin and called out, Hey everybody, remember I said about the little white dude snatched the pass off me in gym class? Here he is. This is the dude. This, of course, was hands down. The first thing Hans did when they chose upsides was to pick Maniac for his team. You're crazy, Hans. A high schooler laughed. He's just a runt. His peach fuzz ain't even coming yet. Everybody laughed. But Hans took him anyway and played quarterback and threw past the Maniac all day long. They huddled and scratched their plays in the dirt. Down to the tin can and break for the goal. Stop and go at the rock. Curl around the junk tire. If Hans' pass was anywhere near Maniac, if Maniac could get at least two fingertips on it, the ball was good as caught. The high schoolers and junior hires went crazy trying to stop him. Nobody kept official records that day. But legend has it, by the time Amanda Bill showed up and called, Jeffrey, dinner. Maniac had scored 49 touchdowns. And when they played stickball, they saw him pulling the ball out onto the street and in the backyards. They started putting two and two together. And somebody came up to him and squinted in his face and said, You that Maniac kid? And somebody else said, You that Maniac? And pretty soon, everybody was saying it, including Hester and Lester. And finally in the kitchen one day as he licked white icing from her thumb Miss Bill said you that maniac? he told her what he told everyone I'm Jeffrey you know me because he was afraid of losing his name and with it the only thing he had left from his mother and father Miss Bill smiled yeah I know you all right. you'll be nothing but Jeffrey in here but she nodded to the door Out there, I don't know. She was right, of course. Inside his house, a kid gets one name. But on the other side of the door, it's whatever the rest of the world wants to call him. Maniacs fame spread all over the East End. The new white kid, who lived with the bills at 728 Sycamore. Who ran the streets before the fathers went out. Who could poleaxe a stickball like a 12th grader and catch a football like hands down. Who was allergic to pizza. Who jumped up in Bethany Church and shouted, Hallelujah! Amen! Little kids, especially preschoolers, came from all over, bringing him their knots. They had heard about him from Hester and Lester. They had heard he could untie a sneaker knot quicker than a kid could spend a quarter. The bigger kids came around too. For other reasons. From Moore Street and Arch Street to Chestnut and Green. Heading for the vacant lot to check out the new kid. To test him. To see if everything they heard was true. To see how good he really was. And how bad. They found out he could do more with the football than just catch it. He could run like a squirrel. He juked and jived and spun and danced and darted. And he left them squeezing handfuls of air. Pretty soon, the vacant lot was littered with blown sneakers and broken hearts. He didn't do much talking, but he didn't have to. Hands down did it for him. Every time he scored a touchdown or cracked a home run, hands was bent over in his face, talking trash. Do it, man! Smoke them suckers! Poke them! Joke them! You bad dude in it! You the baddest! Five me, Jude! And they high-fived and low-fived and back-fived and hands down would laugh and laugh. Maniac loved trash talk. The words were different, but in some strange way it reminded him of church. It had spirit. It had what they called soul. Pretty soon he was talking trash with the best of them. And pretty soon, he brought it home. Miss Bill was pressing her famous meatloaf into a baking pan one day. When Maniac started talking his trash to her, her eyes shot open. She straightened up. What would you say? He said some more. At first she couldn't believe her ears. When she did believe him, she didn't like it. She didn't like this boy bringing the vacant lot into her kitchen. And she didn't like how it fit in his mouth. So she put a stop to it right then and there and slapped that trash talking mouth. Her lips started to quiver before his, but before she could say, I'm sorry, he was hugging and squeezing her and burying his face into her chest and sobbing, I love you. I love you. And he loved the quiet times after Hester and Lester went to bed. That's when he read Amanda's books. When he had gone through about half of them, he decided it was time to tackle the encyclopedia A. Problem was, Amanda was always reading it and she vowed she wasn't giving it up. Not even a maniac until she had read everything from aardvark to aztec. To make matters worse, the supermarket offer had expired, so there was no other volumes. The more Amanda would not let go of the A, the more maniac wanted it. It reached the point where she had to hide it whenever she wasn't reading it. Unbeknownst to her, maniac always found it. He would get up even earlier in the morning read by flashlight for a while, sneak it back, and go trotting with Bow Wow. And sometimes, Maniac just sat on the front window, being on the inside. Maniac loved almost everything about his new life, but everything did not love him back. I think that's a good place to stop. Not that I want to. I want to keep reading, but... If I kept going, I'd read this whole book. I am so sincere. Also, hearing about the Easton and Weston really does make me think about the Pet Shop Boys. You know, in a Weston town with dead-end walls. Easton boys and Weston girls. Weston girls. Oh, that song used to be the bop. Dun-dun, 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 dun-dun. I could go on, but I don't want to lose track of what I'm talking about. Bottom line is, whenever I read this story, that's what goes in the back of my mind. Like, almost the soundtrack to this uh, book. And I want to let y'all know about the beauty of music when it comes to reading. Yeah, there's some songs that will take you out of a book because you want to hear what the songs are saying. But there's other songs that are just so... Intrinsically linked to a passage or a, a, a theme in my mind, that I almost can't read the book without hearing that song, without hearing that style. And I hope that Charlie chat something like that too, where, you know, you could just sit back. For me, the prime background music for uh, reading a book is jazz. Um, I have a playlist on my Spotify uh, And it's nothing but Just jazz that I can read books to Uh, From Najee To Norman Brown To uh, Dave Brubeck Doing Take 5 Like I make sure That I uh, put Some of the Best Jazz in in, in, In the world To me uh, on a list. So then when I finally get a chance to sit down and read a book. My music is there with me. And it all works together. That's the way it should be. To me. To you it should be whatever makes you happy. I hope reading makes you happy. And I really hope that listening to this makes you happy. 916-633-1537. It's a voicemail number. RatchetandRatchet at gmail.com is the email address. Uh, Ratchet Book Club is the name on Twitter. Uh, Leave a review. Podchaser. Apple Podcasts. Stitcher. Wherever else you listen to the show at where they allow you to leave a review. You can leave reviews for episodes and shows. Just let me know what you think. Thank you again for listening to me. I really do appreciate it. I never would have thought. Seriously, when I first started podcasting, if you would have told me that this was an avenue, I would have been walking this a long time ago. I'll holler at y'all later. Y'all be good. Peace.